If you have your copy of God's word, I'm just going to be in a couple of verses. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 10, verses 4 through 7, just reading three or four verses. When you get there, say amen. I'm going to read it. I'm going to share the title, and then we'll get started. It says, if the ruler, this is verse 4, sorry, I didn't mention that, verse 4 through 7. If the ruler angers rises against you, don't leave your place, for calmness puts great offenses to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, an error proceeding from the presence of the ruler. Verse 6, the fool is appointed to great heights, but the rich remain in lowly positions. I have seen slaves on horses, but princes walking on the ground like slaves. Our thought today is divine disgrace, divine disgrace. I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll get started. Jesus, would you be in our midst, Lord, as we come, we worship you, Lord. I'm thinking of all the songs we've sang, Lord. They, 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 they've touched me, not in um, their production, Lord, but that truly your name, Jesus, is great. It is held above every other name. There is no greater name. There is no higher name. We are here because of you, Jesus. So King Jesus, would you reign on us today? Would you reign on us as we open our hearts to your word? Let us be receptive to your word, God. I'm praying that this word will go forth and that those who are hearing and listening to this would not hear or see me, Lord. They would not be uh, distracted by me, but that they would see you, Jesus. Be with us, Lord, as we worship you. Be with us here tonight at BCM, God. We need you. We love you. We thank you. Let all of God's people say amen. Amen. So over the past couple of weeks and months, um, we've been traveling through um, a series of truths and philosophies, if I can say that, through Ecclesiastes. I say philosophies intentionally because, believe it or not, the author has laid out ways in which we are to live our life. I'm just diving right in, y'all. So there's no, 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 no games, nothing, just going in. And he gives us this notion of how we should um, respond to life and its troubles and its worries through work, through toil, through blessing, through wine, through being merry. You get the point. And, and I believe if we're not careful, I had to stop myself in the middle of my sermon prep and say, you know what, I need to be careful. Because we can walk away assuming and think that we can simply just kind of abide and stay still in the Lord and kind of let life just kind of, you know, blow us wherever. If we read this, we can think sometimes, I think a lot of Christians think this, that they may read this and say, hey, well, the Bible says to be merry and, and, and drink and be happy. So I'm just going to do that. And tonight I want to implore us, I want to call us all, starting with myself, to consider as we set shore, as we look to travel, to close this week and next week, that the author is intending to move us somewhere. We've navigated through these weeks through kind of just this turbulent up and down, all of these different angles. But today we're going to press a little bit further. It's going to sound a little redundant from Connor's message last week. I heard it. I was like, man, that literally sounds like my message. And so I'm going to try my best to not sound exactly like Connor. But in, in, in so many ways, there is a lot of redundancy there. And I think the author is trying to direct us through this, these series of arguments. And, 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 and as Jay will end this series, I won't spoil it, but we're going to see we haven't arrived yet still. We haven't arrived on shore. We are just getting there. And to, to all of us that are sitting here, I wanted to lay this as well, because as I was doing some study, I often kind of go to Desiring God or I listen to John Piper and I'm like, let me see what he has to say on some things. And um, the one thing he said about this book, he said, this is the most difficult book a Christian could read. John Piper said that, and he's millions of times smarter than me. 
And so we do have a tough task, BCM. And so I really want us to walk away this semester, not just feeling these pithy truths and not just feeling, okay, well, this is, this is good. It's applicable today, but maybe not tomorrow. But that truly that our Lord is calling us to remember. This is like, I don't know if you guys remember these little small chocolate caramel candies, like they're Werther's candies. You put them in your mouth. You're not supposed to chew on them really hard because they're really hard. So you put it in your mouth and you just kind of let it marinate there. You might get a cavity later, but you just let it marinate over time and you enjoy it. And so this is similar to the book of Ecclesiastes. And yes, we will see, although the wicked and the righteous, they share a lot of similarities. Connor made that clear early in his message. For example, we both die. Sinners and saints, they die. So we share that common thing. The realities, though, are different. And they're not isolated to just one party, though, too. So there are different realities. And so before we dive in, I want to make this central point, and then we're going to just go into point one, and we're going to go, go, go further. This is the central point. I want us to draw from, if not, in my opinion, one of the biggest themes of this book, and we've stated it in so many different ways since week one. The author uses this phrase in this whole chapter, under the sun. This phrase appears 27 plus times in some translations more. And what I believe our author is trying to make clear to us tonight is that life under the sun, which we've alluded to before, it, it, we're moving to this place well, the author's like, consider this. If you live for this life under the sun, you can expect the wisdom, the folly, all of the spoils of under the sun in this world. And that's what you'll expect, and that's what you'll get. But if you live a life, a life that is to be lived eternally, you don't live for the wisdom of this world. Amen? You don't live for the reasoning of this world. You don't live for, for the money that you can gain of this world. And so I want us to see that theme. Like, let, let us feel that tonight, because it's going to feel like a redundant message, like I said. But I want us to see that. This is a part of our text today. He slowly shows us the author that is. He inches closer and closer to this idea that eternity is at stake here. That if we are to live this life, if we want this better life, the good life, this sustained life, that it is found not in this life now, not in this life under this sun, but a life under the S-O-N, under that sun. And so I know we like application a lot. I think my generation likes it more than Gen Z. We love application. We run to application. And, and, and I want us to, to not run too fast tonight. I want us to marinate on the word of God, if, that, if we can do that. So let me set the premise, and then we're going to dive in. We all share, Jay, Connor, yours truly. This book of Ecclesiastes speaks to life using this word of vanity or meaningless or havel. And as we press towards uh, this close, I, I wanted to make clear, too, because we've never said it like this, but I think it's fair because all of you guys are ecclesiastical scholars now, right? And so, <laughs> no, 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 it's like, no, I'm not. But really, this word of, of Havel is really speaking to this idea of enigma. And so that means um, there is this kind of this, this mysteriousness about Ecclesiastes, about the wisdom this teacher and preacher is speaking of. And what that does, it, it should, I believe, it should sober our theology. Let me know if you guys are still tracking with me. 
So this book of Ecclesiastes is not trying to point us to a mixed bag of theology, but it's trying to move us into this pattern that says, hey, look, all of these things are available to you. All these things are open to you as a person. You can drink wine. You can be merry. You can have homes. You can have vineyards and all those other things. But it's not going to be enough. It won't sustain you. It won't actually make you, quote unquote, happy. And so there is this mysteriousness about this book that we see. And and I think as we unravel our text, we're going to see that the author doesn't answer this. This is one of the most frustrating things about the book. He's not saying like, here's what you do. Two plus two equals this. He's saying like two plus six equal a random number. He's trying to have us think though. And yes, Jay will close it and kind of share what the whole point of the book is. But if we're honest, there is no clear sense of like, okay, well, if you do these 10 things, you will be successful per se. So let's start at point number one. I'm sorry that I gave you a long kind of intro. This is like a theological intro and also just kind of a primer as well. First thing is, in our passage, we'll see, do not, do not, do not, do not expect everything in this life to be fair. This is, lar- this is like extremely paradoxical here. And I know we're not kind of like, this is not a new thing for us. We're not foreign to this concept at all. It's pretty self-evident. But if you look at verse four, it says this, if the ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. For calmness puts great offenses to rest. How unfair is this? So you're telling me, teacher, if my boss treats me unfairly or unjustly, I am to kind of just take it and, 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 and just kind of be there or more applicable to you guys? You're telling me if my teacher, my professor, I wish I knew some teacher's names, but I don't, treat me in a disparaging way, then I am to kind of just take it? I should have the right or the ability to either approach him or her and confront her about how she wrecked my grades. I know for some of you, you may think, well, I should be able to hop on, rate my professor and write these bad, you know, ratings about her. Back in the day, my professor had this silly, 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 this is a total side note, um, a silly category that said, you know, if they're hot or not and stuff like that. It was so stupid. I don't know why they did that. But, but I know some people who purposely put not hot and they're, you know, and the teacher probably was, you know, decent looking, but I'm not going to go there. And they did it because they were mad. <laughs> they were upset because their teacher <laughs> did something to them. <laughs> People of God, can, can, can we see, can we see that there is not this idea of fairness. This, the teacher is kind of laying before us, like, look, if you're looking for equality and fairness in this life, good luck. Good luck. Good luck. And we see it all the time. I was just reading, I'm not trying to be funny about this either, but I was reading about the OJ case. And I'm just like, man, I can't believe people believe some of that. I'm just being real. I can't believe it. But at the same time, I was like, I, I get it. We live in the legal system where what is right is wrong, what is wrong is right. And so on and on, and on the author's trying to lay before us, look, there is this tension that lies. There is this tension that lies under the sun. And he wants to move us from looking at life under the sun merely. Can you look at life under the sun, Lord Jesus? Can you stop living your life under the sun that says I need to maximize my life and make as much as I want to and do as much as I want to and get all the pleasures that I want? But he's saying, no, look, that's not going to work. 
BCM is not going to work. And I promise you, I'm living that out. I love your testimony, brother. Because I resonate with you. That was my life too as well. I lived a life just kind of just doing things and just, just running to relationships after relationship after relationship. And I was broken and I didn't know that I was breaking other people's hearts. Meanwhile, I'm saying this is a good thing. I'm pursuing love, right? It's like, it's not enough. It's not enough. And sorry to go on a tangent here, but I think our author is trying to make clear to us the unfair, the unfairness that happens within our society today, the unfairness that happens under the sun, Though it's paradoxical, though it is weird, though it's just this enigma, it's kind of mysterious, the Lord is still doing something divinely. This is not in my notes. I wanted to mention that because I do feel like we can walk away from this and be like, man, this is just sad again. But our Lord is going to use even that thing, the unfairness, the inequality, the injustices that happen on this world. And not that we should try to kind of level the playing field all the time but see that our Lord is divinely working in this whole idea of God's sovereignty. We misuse that word. We use it for other people when they go through stuff. So yeah, God is sovereign, brother, when you can't pay your rent. No, God is sovereign over, over all family. God is sovereign over even the smallest of things. And so the author is moving towards his close. And next week we'll see more of that. That this paradox really, truly for the person, the woman or man who is serving the Lord, this is merely not our philosophy that we live by. Moving along, I'm sorry. And then this too is why I want to mention this, this, this unfairness. So as my boss, as he mistreats me, that doesn't mean in my standing my ground. That doesn't mean that I defend my position. It doesn't mean that I grab my AR-15. There's this weird church. They call it AR-15 church. They worship with AR-15s in service. It's an interesting worship service. (laughs) So you better not get mad at them because they might pop off. (laughs) And so this idea of standing our position in verse 4 is not us saying that we need to defend ourselves. But can you see what the author is trying to say? We don't live for that. We don't live for this equality under the sun, but we live for a just king who he himself, he came on the back of a donkey. He could have came on a stallion, but he did not. He could have came dripped up in a nice robe and and, and a whole entourage, but he did not. And so our author is bringing this paradoxical statement. He's kind of letting us see into it and kind of pulling us back. He wants us to see into it a little more and he's going to pull us back until he shows that it is the Lord, our God. He is the one. He is the one. He is the one that's truly going to reconcile this whole thing. Spoil alert. And because we live in a culture that says that what is fair is when everyone wins, and what is fair is when everyone gets a gold medal, and what is fair is when everyone is a superstar, it makes us think that We have to pursue this thing. It's it's the right thing. But today I'm telling you, it's not. It's not. Scripture calls us to consider the opposition. If I can say this, this is going to sound very crazy to some. Scripture is calling us to consider the opposition in so many ways, not just merely as kind of a, a devilish or evil thing. That God is at work and that this fiery test is actually used Oh, please, I wish I can scream and shout. This fiery test, this opposition is used for what you're strengthening. 
It's used for you to see that there is so much more and so much greater beyond this life. And so quickly, I want to jump to number two. I'm jumping fast. I'm skipping a whole lot. I don't want to be too long. And we see this in our text in, in, in verse six. He said, the lowly often get exalted and the fool is praised or rewarded. We see this all the time in life. And it's just flat out frustrating. The person you would think that should be on top is not, and the person who should be in a humble place is often winning. Look at verse six. It says, the fool is appointed to great heights, but the rich remain in lowly positions. This happens too many times. And we ought to understand that there are a couple of things that, you know, we should really, really know about this. One is that we aren't called to put people in places. James says that. Who are you to put a person who is kind of lowly or a beggar in this high place or, this, or reversely to put this person in a high place and esteem them highly? We aren't to do that. And the reason why I mention this is I feel like we can read this verse and be like, well, I, I, I don't really do that. It doesn't pertain to me per se. I would challenge you, and I didn't want to mention this, but I know there's this figure, this person, if I say his name, I think some may be, you know, they like this person, they don't, but Elon Musk, I was reading about this, uh, uh, this, this brother, I can't say brother, but this person, <laughs> um, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just floored at how many people, you know, are really like, they, they, they love this machismo, this like, you know, proud, you know, personality type, and they see all these great things, but then meanwhile, we're reading about him treating his employees unfairly. But still, you have a culture of people that say, no, no, he's our guy. We love Musk. He's great. He's a good guy. He's a, he's a real benevolent man. And I'm sure he is. Not, nothing against him. He's a smart and sharp guy. But we often do this in our culture. We elevate those who aren't to be elevated. And people who have no status and no rank, we would say, you know, you need to go there. You don't deserve to be in this place. What our job is tonight is not to determine who gets to have these positions, A, or B, to our first point, what fairness looks like in this world under the sun or what it means to, to, to live in this kind of balanced out word. I hate the B word, that word balance. We aren't to, we aren't to do that. And I'm sorry, I'm saying this this way because I do feel like we, often Christians in the West, we have this notion or idea that, hey, you know, we have the best theology in the world, of course, and that if we can kind of just smooth everything out, we're good. And that's not what we see in Scripture. God is calling us into this tension, this tension that can't be explained by one sermon or even a whole semester, this tension that has to be lived out year after year. And we we'll go back to the beginning of this book that the author says that the more wisdom that he gains, the more vexation. So that's your word tonight. I'm not done yet, but I really want us to lean into that, that, that we're not called, and I'm not calling anyone. I know it sounds kind of crazy. I may sound all over the place too. I'm trying my best to make sure it's clear and concise for you guys. But that the author is trying to bring us to a place to show us there is so much more to live for, and it's not under the sun. I'm just going to move along. In our praise of people, in our praise and, 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 and exalting or hiring those that we deem to be successful or prominent or wealthy or whatever the thing may be that we have, I think our Lord is calling us to see this. 
in all of life's getting, in all of life's just kind of accumulating and running after things, what this chapter says clearly to us is that all of it really falls under this banner of foolishness. And as the author layers this down and keeps layering the passage, he gets to this place and he says this foolishness actually has consequences. And so even the person that we would elevate in their status and say, well, this person should be held here because they're, they're a prominent figure. They're an important person. The author is saying, no, if they're not pursuing what is of the Lord and for the Lord, that is foolishness. I know Jay alluded to this to some degree when he preached. And I know sometimes we, we feel like we're not being called to live in this way. Because for us, we, 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 we don't want to, we don't use the word foolishness anymore. I, th- I think there's just a lot of ambiguity. There's, it's not clear. What is foolish nowadays? And I think the author is trying to make clear, not necessarily what's righteous, what's foolish, but saying that one who lives this way, one who lives for their spoils, one who lives for their wealth, one who lives for their own end and their life under this present world and this sun, under this sun, that person truly is living a foolish life. And to them, they have consequences. Look at our text. Our text says, This person who lives this way is like, I have this in a different uh, translation, excuse me. The one who digs a pit, verse 8, may fall into it. And the one who breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. This doesn't sound good. This is a consequence of a foolish act or a foolish thought or a foolish whatever. And so I think our author is saying to us, hey, look, you who live this way, this is what's going to happen to you. You're like the person who is digging this pit. And as you're digging it, you fall into this six foot deep pit. And so it says you have no sense of reasoning. You have no sense of outlook on what life will be, even though you have $210 billion, Musk. You have all the money in the world. You have all the riches in the world. You have everything at your fingertips, but yet you could be, and I'm not saying he is, just even an example, you could be a fool. You could be the man that's literally digging himself in this pit because you have no outlook. The fool has no outlook. The fool has no forward thinking. They have no forward outlook on what life will be beyond this life. And it's like this, this, this person who truly, they, they're, 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 they're right here and they're making all these goals. I, I believe there's a story, man. I'm trying to remember it. I read the story of this man who was planning this, this business. I think there's scripture to back this up as well, too. He was planning this business and um, he invested all this money, had this partner, and he said, it's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. Gave money, gave money, gave money year after year, year after year. About seven or eight years later, you started seeing a little decrease. And then three years after that, business was totally gone. And the industry, I won't even share why, because it, it was a terrible industry. Um, and so, but at the same time, he thought, my investment's going to work. It's going to work. This is a booming thing that I'm after. And it's like, no, it's not. It's a foolish thing, actually. Not because of just your money management, because it had no end. You were its end. You were the goal. 
And so I think what we see here, I'm not trying to belabor this point. We can often identify us, Christians, as this person. And this is not just for the world. I really want to make that clear. This is not a word for the world. It's not a word for just these crazy people out there getting drunk on Friday. It's not that. This is for us. Amen? This is for you. This is for me. We can identify with the foolish person. We can identify as this person who's just living for our flesh. We can identify as a person. And and, and here's what we'll do too. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to go on a tangent. We will say that it's godly when it's not. We will say that this is for the Lord. It's not. It's for you. You're really doing this degree for you because you know you saw on job outlook, oh, I can make $82,000 a year. And so you just do this thing for you. I'm not saying you should make money. And so I do feel like we need to let that settle in. Please, people of God. And I know for some of us who may think, man, this guy's just yelling at me constantly. And every time I come here, I yell at you guys. I'm not trying to do that. I love you guys. But I especially feel like, especially in this book, we're confronted time after time with the decision. Who will you live for? What will your life stand on? A question I like to ask, what will your obituary read? Do you want it to read that, hey, there was this person who amassed much, got all these degrees, got all these achievements and accomplishments and stuff like that, but they didn't know the Lord? Do you want it to read as a person who, who, who built this huge, just, just, just massive library of just stuff, but didn't know the Lord? I think our author is saying, look, I'm not asking you to solve everything in one day. You can't. Life is hard and people are complicated. But at the same time, they are. And they're complex and they're complicated sometimes. You're not going to solve it on one day. But what you can do, I want you to place the right lenses in life. Don't live life under this sun. Don't live for this life that will end. You will probably, at best, I know it may not make sense to some of us because we're 20, I'm 30, 80 years old max might be our life expectancy. Maybe, if we're lucky and drink a lot of water and work out. Maybe. And so at best you have 80 years and then you stand before the king of kings who will judge every thought, every word, everything And it's not going to be a moment for you to make concession and say, well, Jesus, you know, I know I kind of messed up, but come on, just cut me some slack. No. This is going to be a time for him to go through your file. And so lastly, I want to say this before I close. I think often we could resemble, I I don't know if, um, butter. Um, Inside joke. (laughs) Some of y'all know. I think we can identify with this. Uh, there's a story I think some of you may know. Doctor, you may know maybe. Um, Fiddler on the Roof. Um, no shade. <laughs> um, but imagine this, this, this idea, this, this, this story is, I'm not going to go into all the details, but you have this man who's struggling between kind of culture and, and living in this village. He's older. His daughters need to be married. He's trying to make decisions for them. But he has this tension of faith and life and work and money and all these other things. And so he's identified as this, imagine a fiddler on the roof. So imagine someone on Marshall Center, is that what it's called, right? On top with this flute playing. 
you would think this person is a fool, right? You can't balance life that way. You can't look at life and try to say, well, let me just try to get what I can, get a little bit here, get a little bit there, and then everything's going to work out. It's not how life works for the, same, for the Christian. Our lives work on giving true and full reliance on what? On the work of Christ. As we heard in the testimony, as we'll hear week and week and week after week, we'll hear this, guys, that this is not something that we can do on our own. This is not something that we can do with our own strength. It's not something that we can make sense of with our own reasoning. Even this book, as much as I've had pages of notes, I'm like, Jesus, I just can't. It's really challenging. The call here is challenging. I get it. But it's not on you. The onus is not on you. It's not on me. It's on our Lord Jesus Christ. He has done the work. He is the one who's going to, to, to complete this thing, this thing that he has started. And so tonight I'm calling us. I'm calling you. I wanted to give a moment for those who may uh, just struggle with this notion of Jesus and following him and what it means to follow him. Uh, just asking you, maybe you can come and we can pray. I can pray for you, whether it's now or after. I'm asking um, if anyone who has kind of just struggled with this idea of, well, how do I live this blessed life that God has given me with all of the tensions, with all of the struggles and challenges? How do I live this life faithfully unto the Lord, but in a way that does not resemble this person living their life just merely under the sun? If that's you, you can definitely come up. I said, I would love to pray. And lastly, if you're this person who, who is just trying to figure out, Lord, what is my next step? How do I make this profession of faith to you? Um, how, how do I live for you just in my everyday life? I'm at a church. I'm starting to get to know you, but I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to go next. I don't know how to balance this thing. I would ask that you can come as well too. And before we close, I really want to say this last, last, last thing. And I'm, I'm being super, super serious. For all of us here, you, me, we don't get another moment. As I'm listening to this testimony, I thought, man, what if he waited another day? What if he waited another moment and, and, and maybe the next morning that was that morning where, where this Mack truck just hit him? What if he just delayed and said, you know what, God, I'm not ready for that. This person bruised me. They hurt me. I'm right to feel this way. And I don't need to respond to that now, Jesus. You see what happened in my past. I'm just going to be here. But that was not his response. That is not his response. He knelt before the cross and said, you know, here I am. And so I'm asking all of us, you don't have to have a challenge that's here, presented here in this book, but you can have a challenge that could be as small as not knowing if you can pay tuition next semester that you would lay before the Lord. He cares, he cares, he cares, he cares. I wanted to share that with you guys, seriously. He cares, he cares. And he wants you to live life in full. He doesn't want you to live life under the sun like this, in toil, in pain.